Hello everyone and welcome back to the GMS podcast. This week we're taking a fresh look at sanctions and more broadly the effect of the war in Ukraine on shipping ports and the supply chain. I think it's probably fair to say that Russian sanctions, whether on companies or individuals, have become a massive headache for pretty much everyone involved in maritime transport. So with the help of three experts in the field, today we're going to talk about the challenges that owners and operators are facing now, how these risks can be mitigated, and what tools are at ship owners' disposal to help them navigate these choppy waters. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Mr. Ami Daniel. Ami is the co-founder and CEO of Windward, which describes itself as a predictive intelligence company, and in December last year became a public company with shares traded on the London Stock Exchange. Ami, a warm welcome. Please tell us briefly about Winwood's development. I noticed you have a new office in my favorite part of London, Farringdon. Oh, hi. So first of all, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a big pleasure. I've been a fan uh, of your work. Uh, Winward is a maritime AI company. Uh, we believe that the 90% of transport, uh, transport by sea is meaningful to people beyond just ships and shipping, but also to freight forwarders and, and shippers and everybody around the world that's actually importing or exporting goods. Uh, we believe that through uh, deep investment in AI, we can make that more predictable, more dependable, and more effective across the board. We service uh, more than 90 customers today, uh, from BP and Shell to Navigate to shipping companies like Eastern Pacific and Capital, to governments like the US governments and, and the European ones, to banks like OCBC and HSBC. And I think we're on a journey. We believe that this is the golden age of this industry. I'm very excited to be with you today. So thank you for having me. Thanks, Ami. And James is the Managing Director of Graypage, a company specializing in maritime investigations. James, you're a highly experienced maritime troubleshooter. Is the situation with Russia throwing up new challenges or have you seen it all before? Well, good morning, John. And um, thank you very much for inviting me to be on with you. Uh, well, next year is our 20th year of operation as Grey Page. We founded the company in 2003. And I've been doing this work since 1997, particularly. It's always going to throw up new challenges, new issues. Some of the issues will be similar to what we've seen previously, but they're just going to manifest themselves in new guises. And they'll create problems for people who've never seen any of these kind of issues before. So it depends on who you're dealing with. You know, if you've been around the block a few times with some of the old commodity trading groups, they'll be well versed in these kind of issues. But if you're dealing with a newly established company or a newly established team, particularly full of youngsters in their 20s and 30s, then um, issues like this are going to be a bit of a shock. Maybe not new in the sense that there have been wars previously. There have been sanction regimes for as long as I've been in business, but the problems that they create will be new day to day. And that's what we have to help our clients get their arms around. Understood. Thank you. And lastly, I'd like to welcome our own legal counsel, Mr. Arjun Mittal. Arjun heads up our legal team at GMS and takes an extremely cautious view when it comes to sanctions. Arjun, welcome. Maybe I can ask you to kick off our conversation today by describing the challenges for owners and operators, how you're identifying risky areas and you know, making sure we as a company stay compliant. So GMS, of course, has you know, two real arms that they're doing commercially. One is, of course, we're the largest buyers of ships and assets. So we've got a huge S&P sale purchase site that we're dealing with every day. And uh, we've got through Leela Global, we've got a large chartering fleet of around 31 vessels. So 
which gives a whole chartering angle and another set of third parties and issues that we deal with, with flag, registration, insurance, et cetera. So between sale and purchase and chartering, we've got our hands full with compliance, et cetera, going on KYC and, and everything. And it, there has been a drastic shift in the level of compliance that we're seeing third parties, banks and other parties can have started doing since this the Russia-Ukraine uh, war started. One in terms of the level that people are now looking at compliance issues. And second, the delays that are getting caused to the banks because you know everyone's kind of backlogged with the amount of sanctions check that they have to do. So it, it really has changed since this Russia-Ukraine conflict has started. But from an owner's perspective, there's really two parts that we're looking at. The first is determining whether or not the transaction or the voyage that we're going to do under a charter is sanctioned or not. Because first is you want to protect the company, right? That today we don't want to engage in any trade or transaction that is sanctioned or sanctionable that would cause us to have secondary sanctions. And depending on whether it's US, UK, EU, the secondary sanctions that they put on you for violating can, of course, affect your entire commercial operation. So that's the first in determining whether we can do what we're intending to do. And the second is actually being able to do it. Today, even if I've got a legal opinion saying that, yes, okay, this, what you're about to do is free of sanctions. Now I'm dealing with multiple third parties. I've got flag who wants to be sure. I've got insurance who wants to be sure. The biggest on our side is, to, is, is the banks because today you have funds getting stuck and you don't want that. So you need to have your memos and everything in place so that the compliance and all the counterparties we're dealing with, they've got humans and their own compliance teams trying to do my first step from their own side to see whether or not they should be allowing the funds to go through, whether or not they should put down insurance for the vessel or register the vessel with a flag. So I find A, a little more easy to do and B, because it's you're trying to control or trying to work with other parties, that that's where the variable lies. And then we start relying on, of course, the softwares and products that Amy and uh, James have to assist us, you know, and those level of investigations. Due diligence, not to a certainty. There's no perfect deals. There's only managed deals. So... Uh, I think that's really where we start off. And listen, I have to, I have to apologize to the listeners here. I have a very notorious reputation of doing freestyle podcasts, which end up really well, but maybe not as planned. So, so one of uh, about a year ago, we got a call from a potential customer saying, "Listen, guys, could you please help us? Uh, you know, we'd like to look at due diligence and AI and stuff like that." And we ended up discovering through a trial with them that they sold two of their vessels to a Cypriot company. Uh, that's S&P, right, Arjun, um, to a separate company, which actually spoofed its locations deliberately off Venezuela. It was a part of a very big spoofing effort by that separate company, which is probably like a, a Venezuelan-Iranian joint effort thing. But I think what was interesting is that their, their feedback was no way. Uh, but actually, we proved it, of course. Of course, there's a way. So I'm wondering... Arjun, if you've seen in terms of challenges, anything like that, like this story, because I thought for the listeners, this could be a cool story that involves case investigation, you know, the borderline of sanctions, what is, what is not, you know, what you are are not supposed to do and where do you end up buying or selling? Uh, yeah, exactly that. that. That falls exactly within that gray area where there's enough adverse media out there, unproven. At the same time, post the adverse media, there's no actual sanctions that have come in by the US, UN, all the, the states which you're, you're most worried about. And uh, you're then as an owner checking, do I go ahead with this transaction in spite of all this adverse media or do I not? So we at our level, we of course try to get as much data as we can to at least determine whether or not what we're about to do is sanctioned or not. 
And then comes a larger part that we have to worry about. Now, with all this adverse media, like, like you mentioned, you've got multiple third parties who are now so reluctant to touch this vessel in terms of financing, insurance, et cetera. And that's where we have to start managing. But for us, we draw the line at simply, if it's sanctioned or if there is a reasonable threat that we are going to be, it's a sanctionable offense, then of course, we then flag it accordingly. James? I think um, Arjun makes a really interesting point there. And we're seeing this a little bit more often now how often uh, counterparties and parties within the chain, finance and what have you, are starting to try and second guess each other. So as a ship owner, you might go through your own due diligence process, but then your bank will go through another due diligence process. Their compliance system processes will probably vary slightly to your own. And you've got this strange environment where this second guessing is going on and you're trying to harmonize compliance systems. And I think the one, the one thing that always happens with sanction regimes is that you don't get a black and white answer to anything. It still leaves areas of gray. There are vagaries and ambiguities and people are trying to operate and navigate their way through those gray areas when actually what you want is a black and white answer. You want to know. Am I compliant or am I not? And if you cannot get the answers from the governments that are bringing in those sanction regimes, it makes it very uncomfortable as a trader or a ship owner or an operator of any kind, even an insurance market, to say, well, are we on the right side of the law here? And, and I suspect that what people are starting to do is self-regulate and say, look, I'm not quite sure whether we're on the right side of the law here, so I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to do the, the trade I'm not going to accept the contract. I'm not going to finance this. I'm not happy. And as much to do with anything, that's heuristics, that's instinct, that's saying, look, we can't be sure here. The data isn't taking us all the way to that level of certainty. So we're just going to say no, because that's the easier way to deal with it, even if it's less commercially attractive. Yeah, James, just to add curiously to what you said, that the, the sanctioning authorities themselves offer no help by way of clarification, which is which is the worst part. For example, they've, they've simply got random shareholders or companies sanctioned without specifying, you know, in the level of detail that we kind of, sometimes we fall into different slots. And for example, to the OFAC, if we've applied to them saying, this is the details of our transaction, can you please confirm? Their response funnily is that we do not issue licenses if the transaction is not prohibited by sanctions. And as we know that, but we want you to give us a clarification so we can show that to third parties. So you're in that thing where if it's not sanctioned, there's nothing prohibiting it, but they won't give you a clarification either. They suggest that you go for something called interpretive guidance, which they admittedly will take four to six months before you will get a response on that. And four to six months in shipping is just uh, devastating. Yeah, you might as well not. You might as well not do it. Four to six months, a deal of, will have passed. The window will have closed. But that's that's the nature of sanctions. That's the nature of government regulations. I don't know whether it, it, it's not a strict question of liability for governments. It, it's basically saying, look, the ball's in your court. If you look at the hospital pass that the, the UK government created for ports around the UK with their legislation banning Russian ships or Russian operated, chartered, uh, Russian linked, financed vessels, um, they put the legislation through as a statutory instrument with almost no consultation with the ports. They've left the ports to make these decisions on their own, to do their own research and, and to come up with the decisions with almost next to no support as far as I can see. It just moves the burden into the private markets, into the capital markets. It, it takes it away from public sector issues and, and pushes it down onto commercial operating entities and say, well, you make the decision. Um, it, it, 
it, it's the worst of all worlds in that situation. Thanks, James. Ami, is there a place for self-sanctioning in this situation? I'd like to connect this back to ESG. Actually, I think sanctions is kind of a word of the past, I have to say. I think ESG is much more current because I think ESG used to be, you know, environmental, social and governance, right? So people were thinking a lot more about the environmental. Actually, there's a governance and social element here as well. Because self-sanctioning is ESG. If you put in a ship with a Russian cargo into whatever Netherlands, and they, they don't want to deal with the cargo, so it turns down, uh, not because they can't, but because they won't, I think that's ESG. Is getting an article in the newspaper that you bought or sold Russian oil or Russian ship or something, you know, is that going to get you sanctioned? Probably not. But is that going to make people angry at you? Probably yes. Yes, the closest you are to consumers, that's more important. But I think in, in this day and age, people have reputation. And I think ESG is the name of the game and reputation is the name of the game. I think people are I think asking for black and white. is not possible anymore. There is no black and white. It's going to be a judgment call. Everything is going to be a judgment call. And, and in that sense, actually, I think I'm seeing people who are very thoughtful. So we've been working with, you know, Shell and BP and, 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 and Navigate from the first days they really, kind of with Shell from the really the first days they built compliance at Shell. So we've really, really been partners to that journey, not just the tech vendor. Um, and I think it's fascinating to see Specifically in Shell's case, uh, they bought that cargo of oil that everybody knows about, the oil oil from Russia, which was absolutely legally approved. Uh, just to be clear, it is absolutely 100% legal. There is nothing illegal. There is nothing sanctionable there. And still, they've, uh, uh, they've seen the wrath, I think, of the media and some of the, and the public. And I think that really brings to question, where are we going? And what do you need to consider and how much data and support you need to do that, because the repercussions of a bad judgment call, I think, can be a lot more than people assess. Arjun, where are you on self-regulation and ESG in this context? No, uh, a, a softer version of that, if what Ami just described is, I mean, not the self-regulation that owners are doing, but the self-regulation that some of the ports are doing. Like I mentioned to you, I think once uh, we are one, you know, chartering, or at least there was another story that uh, the cargo is coming into a European port. And it's, even though, like you said, there's no sanctions on the trade or the vessel or the shippers or any of the cargo interests, it's just simply they, on an ESG, the port didn't want to take any vessel which has called Russia or is carrying Russian cargo, irrespective of whether it's sanctioned or not. We've heard similar articles about Steve Doe unions refusing to handle cargo, which has anything coming from Russia, of course, depending on which location in Europe they are, because the sentiment and the, the their, role, their own moral perception and ethics about the entire situation come into play. So it, it, of course, it does affect because as an owner, what do you do where you've got stuck at a port where nothing's illegal, you can't put it on the charters, it's just a situation which is causing commercial losses. So so it is very real. James, anything to add? Only that this is the age old issue of don't do anything that will put you on the front pages of the major newspapers around the world. You know, ask yourself that question. What is the reputational damage? Uh, even if I'm doing something lawful, even if I'm doing something that is fine within the highly nuanced environment of, of sanctions and regulations, do I want to end up on the front page of a newspaper or do I want to end up on social media as it probably is now getting monstered by various environmental groups or anybody with a particular attitude to a particular issue? You've got to also remember that the rhetoric that is coming out of the politicians 
is well, it's reductionism as a view, isn't it? It's basically simplifying, oversimplifying a situation to make a rhetorical political point. And then when you look at the law, the regulations and, and, and what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do, it's much more nuanced than, than the politicians would have you believe. Um, so is it a case of creating an impression in the public's mind? What am I doing? Is, is that, that going to keep me in the, in the good books of the public? Um, or am I doing what I'm commercially lawfully allowed to do and should be doing in the best interests of, of, of my shareholders? And these are questions that are going to occupy big corporates' minds as the war develops. I mean, we've got to also remember we're still in the very early days of the Ukraine invasion and the regulatory regime and the sanction regime will develop. We've seen the EU divided this week, last week, on whether they're going to continue to import Russian gas and Russian oil. Is there going to be a phase out? And of course, as every different government has a different view on what they should be doing, or at least a, a, a view that isn't necessarily 100% matched with the EU or with the US or with the UK, then they're going to have to flex and amend the sanction regimes um, rather than seeing countries split apart and diverge on, on their attitudes towards Russia and what Russia are doing in the Ukraine. So hugely nuanced environment, hugely influenced, I suspect, by social media nowadays, uh, more than the mainstream media. Yeah, super complex environment in which to try and operate. So, Ami, what can owners do to navigate this complex environment? From the due diligence perspective, what we've seen is that there are a lot of owners who have absolutely nothing in place. Um, I know GMS is, is probably the, the best practice or one of the best practices in the world, but I think GMS is also a big establishment, uh, which, you know, has its own podcast, right? <laughs> Having said that, uh, there are many, many owners who have 10, 20, 30, 40 vessels. And if you think of it in, in, in asset terms, so if you have 20 vessels worth 40 million a piece, that's a bunch of money, right? You have, you, you have a bunch of assets. But still, a lot of these have absolutely no due diligence practices at all. And I think Arjun probably knows that. So I think from that perspective, this creates a need in the market that people just need to flip the switch, pay $30,000 a year and move on and make sure they have something. I'm sorry to be, I'm sorry to be explicit here, but think of it, they should think of it like insurance and they think of it like a cost. And I don't think that's the right way to think about it. I think, so that, so I think that's one thing. The second is we've launched a couple of weeks ago the ability to cover counterparty due diligence, which means in our platform, you can, you can screen the people you do business with, the companies you do business with, not, not just shipping companies, it could be a whatever refinery, okay, which you're required to do, by the way. And obviously the vessels and the shipping companies, including uh, deceptive shipping practices and all that lot. And I think the idea is with AI to reduce false positives. So I think what's frustrating for a lot of people in this world is that if you use legacy platforms, you end up, and I know personally customers who end up with a lot of false negatives or false positives. And I have two examples for you. So I think false negatives is if did your system pick up something that it should have picked up? Um, and I think I've, I've seen some cases recently that I'm not sure the answer is, is positive. And as the longer Russian oil, Iranian oil, and Venezuelan oil are in the kind of in the uh, gray zone, <laughs> in the gray page, uh, pun intended, just kidding. Uh, but in the gray zone, I guess that oil is going to be blended and going to go through to be bunk fuel. Um, and that bunk fuel could cause just a bit of problems, I believe. 
On the other side is false positives. So I know people who use legacy systems and just have like a hundred false alerts a day. And then what they do, they just ignore it. So unless you have a full-fledged legal operation who can deal with like a hundred alerts per day, which I'm not sure anybody wants to deal with right now, uh, nowadays, I think that's something to just flip the switch. So I think maybe let me stop here. That's what we support. Uh, we were seeing a huge kind of flood of owners, operators that didn't have anything before had something very rudimentary. Um, go to use AI to false positive, to reduce false positives. And this is a good example of, an, of a real life application of AI is simply 90% less false positives. And that's an outcome of a lot of models and technology. Arjun, you're a fully fledged legal setup. Does uh, what Amy's saying make some sense to you? Would, it, would that be useful? It has its pros and cons, in my opinion, with all due respect. I mean, there is... Um, Eventually, we've got, uh, let me stress on the false negatives, for example, you, you do have situations because you have a lot of, um, what do you say, companies which don't have in-house teams or the human element going through it. They're reliant completely on whatever reports come from whatever softwares, et cetera, whether it's SeaWeb or Windward, and whatever they say is absolutely taken. Okay, Is there a red light eventually because you've got, you've got your color coding systems, right, in your, in your reports that come in. They see red and they just, you know, that's it. I've seen red. They don't go to analyze, analyze what is red. Why is it red? For example, some of the softwares will highlight if some of the up to two levels before anyone has been sanctioned or if there is, um, if the managers or owners or has been, you know, in a in any sanction or sanctionable activity. But eventually the, the it's we're now at a much different stage where the ownership is different, the vessels in com completely different hands, and the intended transaction is completely different. So that red flag may not actually apply to this transaction, and that's where I, it ties in back to my us having to maneuver these red flags, where we have to then explain that okay, this is the concern, etc. So that's one thing that the, the AIs I don't think takes into account. And the second is also that it's one thing to check who the ownership etc. is and for it to give those details, but to also at the same time understand what the sanction regulations are. Because, for example, U.S. doesn't have simply, if a name appears in their sanctions website, means it's completely sanctioned. They have a difference between SDN, which is their specially, specially designated, and, and secondary sanctions, which is only limited to a specific transaction, say creation of new debt for 14 days or not operating bank accounts. So not that every property of that, of that entity is sanctioned or objectionable property that you cannot touch. So those nuances need to also come in with the AI, and I'm, I'm not sure if currently it has or the, the softwares that are now being developed actually do offer all of that. But I do find a lot of these false negatives that we have to deal with. Another example for is the Strait of Hormuz, right? There's so much of overlap between the waters of UAE and the EEZ of uh, Iran that I think I have seen, at least in various reports, vessels which have just either been traveling domestically within the cabotage of UAE, also still kind of getting false flagged as somehow reached the EEZ of Iran. And th that's another set of issues that I have to deal with in terms of then explaining to people that absolutely not, or for me to ask from information, okay, show me exactly, you claimed you were in UAE, but I've got this windward report, which suggests that you were probably in closer to Iran and doing some funny business there, you know? Thanks, Arjun. So, Ami, AI is not the panacea it's cracked up to be. I don't think any, any technology is perfect, period, full stop. And I don't believe GMS are a user right now. So, as far as I know. Um, but, it, but it's okay. It's okay. You're, you're, everybody's allowed to make their choices. And if somebody wants to drive an a, 1980 Toyota, they're allowed to. Um, that's cool. But just to follow up on that, the way we build technology is we try to, for lack of a better word, codify the regulation. Let me give you an example. SDM list in our platform is black. That means you're not allowed to do that. However, every vessel connected to Russia is amber. It's not even red. 
because you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to do business with people in secondary sanctions. We just want you to know it's, it's connected and it's the user's call. Furthermore, uh, and last year we've introduced uh, risk customization. Actually, we have people, different people getting totally different results. I can tell you we have a very risk averse customer that asks us to build a 36 months look back, which says if this vessel has got even near Iran even the last three years, I don't want anything to do with it. We have other people who do exactly the opposite and do a six months look back. We have people looking at Myanmar and saying we don't want to do business with anybody in Myanmar. We have people doing the same, the opposite. We don't care about Myanmar. And all of these are absolutely legit. Last but not least, I think I'd like to introduce to a term here of, of super user versus a normal user. You are, Arjun, my friend, a super user. And usually, by the way, in banks, they're called first, second, third line, lines of defense. So the first line of defense, which is the regular users, from my perspective, they should get the, after some people like you define the risk customization, they should get the outcome of the out-of-the-box recommendation. It could be 5% wrong because nobody's, is, is, but it should be, but it should be 95% right. I believe it is, by the way, 95% right. Um, at least that's the feedback I'm getting. However, the super users should have tools to investigate into that. And I'll give an example. Uh, today, we allow customers in our product to click a button and access live imagery of optical satellites 24-7 around the world. That allows users, many users, to validate or, uh, or disprove the fact that this vessel did or did not go to this exclusive economic zone. And it reduces the time to get that information. So you don't call an owner, they don't come back to you, there's a week, and then you lose the deal. You do it yourself on the spot, and by doing that, you just reduce, you collapse the time for investigation. Now, there are a bunch more capabilities like that that are being built with us, and I think it's a journey. So for me, by the way, and I'm sure we're still not perfect, we'll never be perfect, but I think for me, the idea is technology needs to move and evolve very quickly, and I think what I would tell the listeners here, I think is the question is, do you think this area is important or it's not important? If it's not important, absolutely, I encourage you to keep on using your 1980 Toyota. It will still be the same in a year or two or three or four or five. It will still be a 1980 Toyota. Or you can decide it's important and use a Tesla that's updated over the year. Now, it's not a driving a Toyota is not okay and driving a Tesla is okay. People who pay for a Tesla think it's very important to, to drive an EV, get it updated over the year and have their car improve every week. Think that people that drive a 1980 Toyota want it not to break down. It's still going to be the 1980 Toyota. I don't think one is better than the other. Not everybody needs a Tesla. But whoever needs a Tesla, don't sit in a Toyota and tell yourself it's a Tesla because it's not going to be a Tesla in a year. It's still going to be the 1980 Toyota. So James, are your clients driving 1980 Toyotas or Teslas? Whatever your process of due diligence is, it's got to fit what your objectives are, what your priorities are. And some people want to be more driven down the technology route. Um, a lot of organizations I see who are going down the technology route are becoming, unfortunately, becoming beholden to it as if the data will give them everything they need. And my view is there needs to always be some balance between the data and the individual or the individuals analyzing it and putting together their business intelligence picture. And then there will always be people to use Amy's um, metaphor that will be in the, the, the 1980s Toyota Hilux, which 
you know, you can set fire to, you can drive through a lake and it will come out the other side and it will be perfectly fine for what you need. So the question I suspect is data and, and AI and technology platforms better suited to highly nuanced situations like sanction regimes than human intelligence and the way of doing business that we've done it for years. Make sure you know who you're doing business with, have personal relationships. We're probably, well, we're not data-driven in the same way. Great Page is not data-driven in the same way that AMI is because we do a different form of intelligence gathering. But why, um, why, why does that contradict? Why does that not I'm not saying it contradicts. I'm saying what, I, what, I'm act, what I'm saying is, is that you've got to look at the client's priorities and objectives. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll, you will have data and technology platforms running alongside more traditional human intelligence ways of doing business. I, I, right? I, think, I, think, I think it has to run alongside. Yeah. It cannot work in any other way. But what, I, but what I'm seeing is people foregoing the traditional routes of having market relationships and having trusted sources and being able to rely on those relationships, which, which a bit like brand reputation, you know, if I trust the person I'm doing business with, that person has something to lose if they screw me over here, right? Whereas if you abandon those traditional forms of doing business and doing your due diligence and setting up your relationships and you abandon yourself purely to technology, I think you could get yourself into very large amounts of trouble. You know, other writers in other fields have called it the data comfort blanket. You know, what we used to traditionally call this arse covering. Well, this is what the data told me. This is what my report said. And then the question should come down from somewhere. Well, did you look into it? Did you test it? Did you ask enough questions of it? Yeah, but guys, we're, we're in shipping. This is an industry of experts. I'm sorry, newsflash. This is an industry of experts. Everybody thinks he's better, a better expert than the other guy around, okay? Everybody in shipping, I'm not saying everybody, the vast majority of people in shipping are everybody, think they know better. That story I started this podcast with about a company that sold two of these vessels, they used a, one of the best ship brokers in the world to do that. But the ship broker said, not my problem. Um, not my problem. Okay, I'm not doing sanctions and due, and due diligence. So they said I trust the broker, but the brokers predominantly, by the way, say they don't do due diligence. Um, but but I'd like to take this a step further uh, here. I don't think it's about what's right to do. I agree, it's priorities. However, my experience has been that organizations who take AI from the C level onwards actually find a lot of business value. And I want to give an example. Our relationship with Navigate actually started around sanctions and compliance, but now, and you can see this in a press release we've, we've published together with them, so it's public information, they actually use our technology to generate a lot of business opportunities. So their traders use our technology, and by the way, we've built with them technology for that, according to their ideas. So we didn't know, they know, they knew, they are the experts, but they explain to us what they need. And because it's a Tesla, not a Toyota, it got updated over the year, and now they just generate more business with the technology they have. And next, and this is not a one thing. Every month we speak, and every month somebody smart has an idea, and that somebody smart, in a quarter later, it becomes a feature or a product. And I think organizations who want to progress treat this this way. The companies who are the best in the world don't think of this as a problem of the legal counsel or the problem of the due diligence person or the compliance person. This is an opportunity. It's not a problem.
embrace that opportunity, start from the legal place, because I think it's been proven to, to make a difference, reducing false positives, reducing false negatives, creating more business opportunities. However, this might not be perfect. So move forward step-by-step, step, create requirements and engagement. And I'm telling you, and we can, maybe, maybe we should speak, John, a few words about AI. I think that people who embrace this find new opportunities to make money. And I think it's, a, I work personally with a lot of C-level executives, and I can tell you wherever there's a C-level executive involved, they make more money from technology. Whenever it's a problem, they outsource to a legal counsel. The legal counsel does a great job, but I think the organization can benefit better. Arjun, you agree? I mean, I, th I think the point that James was making was that there's a, a lot more involved in the intelligence, intelligence gathering perspective, which requires the human element. AI and all these softwares are limited by the data that is publicly available. To give tie in back with your car example, your Tesla can only run as so far as there is an electric charging station along the way. But yep. If there's no uh, charging point, eventually you do need to. And to give a real life example, for example, uh, you may say that a company is not sanctioned, yeah, because it's not appearing on the sanctions list. But if the shareholding data of the company is not available publicly, and that's something only you know, either Graypage goes out and gets it, or I go and ask sellers or ask my counterparty to provide and check the incumbency records. And someone on one of the shareholders is sanctioned. My trade, which otherwise would show as a false positive on yours, is actually a sanctioned trade. So these are some of the elements which were saying that, like you said, and, and I agree with you, is that the softwares give you data to arm yourselves. It only makes you aware. But the bottom line is the decision and understanding whether or not this actually affects the transaction, because let's keep the bar as legality here and ESG as a step down, that to cross that you have to, you know, that is the gray area which you have to now steer it towards the white. Otherwise, you are in trouble. Sure, but, but I think that's, that's the preset. Guys, again, we're in chipping. Nobody is saying in no shape, shape or way or form, including me, that right now the Tesla, to use the analogy, is need, needs to be self-driving. Even Teslas don't self-drive still. Um, nobody needs to be self-driving. However, it doesn't mean, you know, the world isn't binary. It's not that you either drive a Hilux Toyota from 1980 or you drive a self-driving car in 2022. There's a lot of, you know, uh, a, a lot of shades. Um, and I think in these shades, I find the industry to be a bit more too much principle oriented and too less KPI oriented. It's not a discussion of principles. Guys, this is not a religion. Okay, it's business. It's not that do we agree, do we think or not that uh, Russia is right or Ukraine is right. We're not discussing that right now. Um, we could if you want to offline, but obviously I have an opinion, but, but it's not being discussed right now here. I'm saying that these decisions should be KPI driven. What KPIs should we see to move from Toyota to Tesla? Should we move from Toyota to Tesla? What will be the business impact? How much business could, are we losing because we have too broad of a brush? Uh, or how much business could we make if we have a finer brush? How do we measure it over a month, two months, or three months? Could we backtest that? Could we take these 10 cases and see what could have happened differently? And again, and I alluded to that in the beginning of the conversations, I think the more this happens in the world, the more fuel and oil gets blended and the more there's also a, a risk of contamination. By the way, Arjun, I have seen actually people who look at this as an opportunity, i.e. they're looking for sanctions breachers, and then they try to reduce the money by proving that to them, pay half the price on buying their ships. Um, 
So actually you could flip it over the head and actually prove to somebody, well, you're saying you just turned off the AS, but here's a bloody image of you getting into Iran, okay? Here's the proof, my friend, I'm gonna pay you 30% of the price. And that's by what I mean by being proactive. That's what I mean by taking technology to the edge. Now, I'm not saying everybody should drive a Tesla, but I'm also saying it's 2022, guys, okay? Uh, so we should, we should be moving on and we should be talking about principles. Should we or should not we, we require humans? In no industry that I know of, nobody does a $5 million deal without 10 people looking at it, okay? It's just not happening. Nobody does that except algo trading. And usually algo trading is very small amounts, very fast. So it's not really a $5 million deal. It's 5 million times $1 deal. So there's always needs to be a human and expert. Great, let's move on. The question is how can we augment the human human and what should we require from technology doing that? I think a lot of what we discussed and what your points, I mean, it covers largely for the sale purchase side of shipping. But today, 80% of the business is chartering and trade. And, and the, the game there is much different. And what we're seeing the impact of Russia, Ukraine, the conflict is more on the chartering side, because that's where the nuances come in. For example, EU and all the regulations that they do, or now they keep adding different things in different trades, or now, now recently coal has been added. They are including things like wind down periods, that contracts which are not executed by a certain date, or if they've been executed before this date, you have a three month period to perform these contracts. And it adds something like ancillary contracts are excluded from this. Now, a lot of questions have been asked as to, okay, if the sale agreement has not come in, is the charter party agreement an ancillary contract? Today, I'm entering into a new charter party with two individuals who have already got the sale agreement before the sanctions hit. Is sure. my charter party allowed or not allowed? Because these are where now we find ourselves going back to lawyers and going back to policymakers and legislative guidance and interpretation on these issues. The whole sanctions thing comes from there. You know, and I think that's the whole game on the chartering side is a lot more to do with that, not simply as to whether okay, I can check up and down all my cargo interests and all my port authorities, buyer, seller, charterer. Uh, those are black and white in a way. But the entire chartering compliance issue that I am facing, and I'm sure James will agree, because the investigations come from there. I mean, how much are these third parties giving us opinions which also include legislative interpretation? Yeah, but guys, we're living in flux right now. So I'm not surprised everybody needs much more lawyers because everybody's living in a flux. Um, I, I, I'm sure you're 100% right. Uh, and, I'm, you know, and, and that makes sense to me because the world is changing every other week. So how would you know or could you know? I think that it comes on top of what I'm saying. And by the way, the vast majority of our users actually use it for child not for S&P. Because child happens every day. Uh, but, but yeah, guys, it's complicated. And guys like Gray Page, which are experts, are absolutely mandatory and you cannot live without them. That's the business they've built. That's why their reputation precedes them. I agree. Having said that, does that say you, you know, you want a lot of examples of vessels that are not really going into Iran and but they're in the UAE and waste your time on it? Probably not. No, it doesn't contradict. It's com it complements. That's it. Indeed. I think that was the point, Ami, I made at the outset was that it's not an either-or situation. And, and most of our work, say 90% of our work is dealing with and uh, trying to resolve problems after they've occurred. Okay, we, we are not largely in the game of due diligence. We're largely in the game of solving problems when after someone has got into trouble in a particular environment and trying to understand what the origins of that problem is in order to resolve it, okay, in a timely and lawful fashion to the benefit of the client. But... I think shipping is an interesting industry from the point of view that there are some very big players. 
you mentioned Navigate, BP, Shell, et cetera, et cetera. These are extraordinarily large organizations. And yet shipping is also dominated by a lot of small players. There are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of small shipping chartering entities who do not have the scale of operation where they can put a large compliance department behind these issues and uh, or to get to the bottom of these issues. And I think that's what's interesting about the sanctions. They are a broad brush stroke. That, that's what governments do, bring in these broad brush stroke regulations in the hope that it will be a coverall. The problem with it is at a micro level, when you atomize it, very few of the small companies have the resources to work out Am I in compliance? Am I not in compliance? It might fall to one person, the commercial director, who might also be the chief chartering operator, who might be the guy that's doing the post uh, chartering fixture uh, information. There might be three or four people in a company. They still they have to operate in this sanctions environment in the same way that a major organisation has to operate, and and that's what's interesting about sanctions and that's what makes it so difficult uh, to work out what's going on for any given company at any given time because their priorities will change their priorities do matter their objectives do matter you're right kpis are just a set of objectives right there are a measured set of objectives so you can term it anything you want they all face with the same issues they're just faced with those issues in a way that will impact them in vastly different ways so we're, we're at, the, say, at the very early stages of this situation. Mm. There's a lot more to come. People are going to, and companies are going to require a lot of help and a lot of information to build their intelligence pictures. That's not going to change for a while. And well, it's going to be interesting to see what the outcome ultimately will be. Probably not dissimilar to how we've seen it with Iraq. It, it, it may well stay in place for many, many years. Arjun, a final word? It has become more difficult, more risky, a lot of things which you have to manage. But I feel that even if this, the conflict and everything resolves itself and whatever happens in the end, it's not going to go back to the way things were. Compliance and the level of diligence that people are doing has changed, I think, in a way permanently. That the level of that people have now finally understood how much they're supposed to devote in terms of time and how serious they need to take it has changed. So, you know, a lot of companies, I think, are now going to realize that even if this entire thing ends, that they're going to have to take this seriously. So, Ami, a final word of advice? It's about living in a moment, my friend. Don't do anything in a mediocre way. Whatever you do, <laughs> do the best way you can. That's it. That's a great way to end. Thanks very much to our guests this week. And thanks to you for downloading and listening to this podcast.